What's up, Beardos? I'm Nicole. And I'm Callie. We are Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack, and you're listening to episode 125 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then conclude with a conversation with Callie and Nicole of Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack, asking the question, how can we practice anti-capitalist veganism? Paul, I am so excited for people to hear this conversation. It, it starts in one place and goes to another, and I think it's really thought-provoking. I think it's a really challenging conversation. I, I don't expect all of our listeners to agree with everything. They are two people that always make me think, and I was really happy to have this discussion and to get it on our show. So looking forward to putting that in at the end of the episode. That's exciting, and, and I am not a part of this conversation, so Andy, I am excited to listen to it as well. <laughs> Yes, indeed. But before we get into the regularly scheduled program, a little bit of an announcement. Paul, last week we said we were so close to our first goal on our Patreon. And once we hit that, that meant that we could commit to getting one episode of the podcast transcribed every month. And we have hit that goal. Yes. So you can actually check out episode 122, the transcription of that. And we're going to find a better way to link it up so it's easier for people to find, and it's going to be in the show notes. But if you go to thebeardvegans.com slash ep122transcript, ep122transcript, you can find that transcription. So I'm excited about that, Andy. Yeah, we're working on a way to make it, it more apparent and easier to find for everyone. But there it is. So thank you to listener Alex for doing that transcription for us. Yes. And looking forward to being able to do more episodes in the future as we continue to reach other goals. So thank you to everyone that helped us to reach that goal and continue to support the podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you just go to thebeardvegans.com slash Beardo, B-E-A-R-D-O. Yes. So, Andy, uh, what good food have you been eating over there on the West Coast? Well, out in L.A., there was an event on St. Patrick's Day at Cosmic Brewery, and it was sort of a pop-up shop-type situation where there was maybe 10 or so vendors. Half of them were food. Some of them were people that sell various vegan goods. Uh, my friend Alicia from Vegan Power Company was there and they do really awesome like lapel pins and enamel pins and a couple shirts. So it was a really fun event. And one of the things that was really noteworthy for me, Paul, was that this brewery sells beer, which I do not partake in, but they also sell soda, which I do occasionally Ooh. partake in. And I have never been able to participate in a flight of anything, Paul, which is where they will give you like a sample of four different beers or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, wines. And that's just not a thing for the guy that doesn't drink alcohol. But <laughs> Cosmic Brewery had soda flights available. So I got to do that for the very first time. 
I've never even heard of that. You uncultured fool, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I tried several flavors, and they had things ranging from strawberry pie to cake batter to apple pie and something called Cosmic Cooler, and those are some of the ones that I got. And let me tell you, this apple pie soda was really delicious. It it tasted like actual cinnamon. It didn't taste like fake cinnamon candy, and it, it was so good. It was just such a nice experience to be able to sort of join in with that sort of celebration of drinking things, which I don't yeah. really get to do. It's not something, you know, I don't go to bars. It's not the atmosphere that I like to hang out in, but it was just a cool thing to be able to participate in that. So that was awesome from Cosmic Brewery. Nice. But the food vendors that were there that I tried and thought were really fantastic was Vegan Casera, and they were doing a variety of dishes, but mostly these nachos and burritos and I have to say, these nachos, I posted a picture of them on our Instagram, Paul. They are, they are one, very massive. It's a ton <laughs> of nachos for 10 bucks. But the chips were, like, freshly fried, and they used their own cheese sauce that was, wasn't too overwhelming. It was more like a nice texture, but it was kind of nucci, I think. And they drizzled it with some sour cream, and they had four different types of, of meats that you could choose. And we initially got this jackfruit carnitas but we there's three of us and we liked them so much we got a second order and we got some kind of like satan asada type topping and that was just mind-blowingly good uh. the nachos were so good everything was was pretty much spot on and perfect about it except for of course the cilantro which i hate <laughs> but that's no fault of theirs. That's the fault of my genetic code. So <laughs> Vegan Casera, I definitely will be on the lookout for them in the future. It was delicious. And the other vendor I'll mention is Avocado Mama. And they were selling mac and cheeses of several different flavor varieties. And we got a plate that had all three. They had the OG, like the original mac and cheese. They had a curry one. And then they also had a, a, a nacho-y, taco-y kind of one where they put some jalapenos and cream cheese and and slice of avocado on it and the og knocked it out of the park and not only was it the type of mac and cheese that i love that's kind of like thick and and again kind of nucci mm-hmm. but they also crumble kelly's croutons on top of it crumbled kelly's croutons so good so good so that was awesome the curry one was also very good but yeah uh, avocado mama definitely i'll be on the lookout for them i think they're gonna be at vegan street fair this coming weekend so maybe i can peel myself away from the booth but <laughs> yeah it was a really fun time it was a really cool event and, and i'm glad that i went so yeah shout outs to cosmic brewery yeah and with that said, let's dive into the news. Paul, what what is this what is this word that I'm looking at right now? <laughs> so, our first article is from allure.com and it's called What to Know About the Pegan Diet or Pagan Diet. I'm not exactly sure which one it is. They, they must be pronouncing it pegan. That's what I imagine. Right, because pagan's already a thing and <laughs> and like it's like a take on vegan, so it must be pegan, but it, it seems so awkward. Like, I would feel really embarrassed if I was, like, I'm a pagan. Yeah. So. Pagans is already, like, two different things also. Yeah. The religious thing Yeah, I think you would say I'm a pagan and people would go, do you mean pagan? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's <Yeah>. just, <laughs> if you sign up for this thing we're about to talk about, it's a lifetime of that. Yeah, yeah. So it says, what to know about the pagan diet, the trendy new paleo meets vegan lifestyle. I'm just going to read a little bit from this. Another day, another trendy diet. The Pegan diet is the latest way one health expert is hoping to create a movement around healthier eating. The Pegan diet is a hybrid of two eating philosophies you're probably already familiar with. A vegan, 
no animal foods, and paleo, no dairy, grain, soy, legumes, or processed sugar. So Andy, when I first started reading this, I was like, oh, okay, it's just, it's just a paleo diet except a little bit stricter, but I was actually mistaken because the article then goes on to say, if you're wondering how you could both be vegan and eat grass-fed steak, the answer is simply this, you can't. The point of veganism <laughs> is that you're centering plant foods rather than animal foods while still including high-quality animal foods in your diet. So despite the name and despite what I figured that this would be, it's actually not a vegan diet at all, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, that's that's weird because I know – I think it was uh, Ellen Jaffe Jones who somewhat recently wrote the book Paleo Vegan. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I must have been in, in line with your thinking where it was like, okay, so this is essentially – taking the the paleo diet and co-opting it to veganism which at first i was thinking that is really cool because there's nothing really about the paleo diet that necessarily is like you must eat a lot of meat all the time like it seems like it should include a lot of vegetables yeah but whenever i go to a whole foods that has like a paleo section in their hot bar which i've seen multiple times it's always meat crammed in there. Like it's it's things that I would really enjoy, and it's roasted Brussels sprouts. Oh, but they added bacon to it. Roasted yams, but they added shredded turkey to it, or you know whatever it is. Like it's people read paleo as you get to eat a lot of meat. You must eat a lot of meat to follow this diet. So I actually thought it was kind of cool. It's like oh maybe it can turn this paleo thing on its head and get those people to be more on board with eating vegan foods or plant based foods. But instead, there's this nonsense about eating high-quality animal foods, and it's pretty disappointing. It, it doesn't really make sense to me why they needed a new name, because for me, it just seems like it's like, hey, you're on a paleo diet? Eat a little bit healthier. And that, like, that's what they're saying? And that doesn't, yeah. really need, that doesn't really need a whole other name. They're still eating a paleo diet. It's just a slightly healthier paleo diet. Which, which to me, I thought like I, granted, I don't know a tremendous amount about the paleo movement as a whole, but I imagine that most people that follow that diet are concerned with the quote health of the food that they're eating, anyways. So it seems like something that would naturally happen with a lot of people who are following the paleo diet, anyways. So, so to need this new thing is just strange to me. Well, you would think that, Paul, but again, I think people people seek out diets that let them eat the things that they really like, and so we see that with the success of like the Atkins diet and the South Beach diet and things that almost always feel like sort of a repackaging of something that's pretty similar with maybe a slight tweak to it. So I don't know if I, – I, I have not seen any evidence that that would lead – the paleo people would sort of naturally progress down that path. But to answer your question, in that Allure article, there's a, a, a bolded headline that says, hold on, haven't I heard these tips before? And then goes on to say, it's clear this philosophy is nothing new in the world of nutrition. Unfortunately, not everyone is listening to the old advice, no matter how many times we say the same things, Carrie Gans, a nutritionist in New York City, tells Allure. If giving a trendy name to something healthy brings it to the attention of the consumer, I can't argue with that. So it's kind of like other things that we've seen, like veganism, right? Where we've seen yeah. people that are like, you can be vegan but eat fish, or like you, you can classify that, and we're like, well, that's just a pescatarian. We've had a name for that, but pescatarian isn't some cool, fun, trendy name. And I think on some level, 
many people sort of aspire to be vegan or they know that it's kind of associated with a lot of people think of it as this like moral purity kind of thing. And so I think people like want that label for themselves, but they want to mold it into something that's not what it is. Yeah, no, definitely. So overall, I was I was pretty disappointed. I mean, not that I think that the way we're going to get to veganism is health through health trends, but like you had kind of alluded to before, it would have been nice if what this was was people who are already doing the paleo diet now switching to a to a vegan diet, knowing that they're going to still be able to meet whatever health goals that they have. Yeah, and I don't know, it all, some of it seems kind of vague to me because also in this article it says, if you're going to eat animal foods, eat sustainably grown or harvested foods. And first off, those euphemisms drive me up a goddamn wall, Paul. <laughs> grown and harvested to describe the slaughtering of a sentient being obviously just seems super inappropriate. But they're so vague, and it's just like one of those things where people say, I'm trying to eat less meat, and you're like, well, what does that really mean? And anyone can kind of say they're eating less meat, but... Without certain parameters, it's sort of hard to really gauge those things. And, I mean, in the conversation that we're going to have later with Callie and Nicole, we talk a lot about do we need those parameters? Are they useful? But, like, in this instance, it just feels like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm eating more sustainably grown and more sustainably harvested. It's like, what does that mean? Does that mean going to Whole Foods? Does that mean going to a local farmer? Does that mean hunting animals yourself? And, I don't know, it's just all just like this vague thing that lets people, I think, feel good about what they're doing, but it's not really ascribing any particular one thing. Yeah, it is, it is certainly very vague, and we've, I think in an, a very early episode when we talked about do we need the word vegan, we did bring up that, like, there does need to be some standard for people to work towards, and, and I worry that this kind of blurs those lines a little bit yeah so i don't know i i get it it i guess to me it mostly just feels like someone trying to sell a book yep that's probably what it is or products yes well speaking of products paul mm-hmm. i got PPs. a bone to pick <laughs> well I, the the vegan world was ablaze with the news that the new beyond burger is going to be at all of the target locations mm-hmm. all over the place and then it just felt like there was kind of a flurry of bleeding burger news coming out, and you uh, you had some words to say. So, what what are your thoughts on these bleeding burgers, Paul? It, I I just think it like I remember when I remember back in back in my day, three years ago, two years ago, when when the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger were the two really big burgers coming out. And they still, I mean, they still are. I think they still are the two biggest burgers. But I remember when one of them came out and was like, oh, it's the burger that bleeds. And then occasionally someone would be like, oh, wait, is this one the burger that bleeds or is the other one the burger that bleeds? And I'd be like, I think they're, they've both been referred to that at one point. I'm not actually sure which is the burger that bleeds. But I remember thinking that that was like, and we've talked about this, we were like, Huh. Like that's kind of a weird attribute to to put on a vegan product, but we said tentatively, if that's going to be the thing that's going to convince someone to try it out or that's going to be the thing that makes it more quote realistic and and more attractive to people that eat meat, then sure whatever, go for it. But for some reason it seems like this this need that I'll tell you what it is, Andy. It's a need to bleed. That's what it is. This <laughs> this <laughs> this need to bleed. I think it's just gotten a little out of hand. So 
There's this new Costco burger that Veg News describes as the new bleeding burger debuts at Costco. There's I saw an article from the UK from the independent.co.uk promoting another UK bleeding burger that is also called the it's the Moving Mountains Raw B12 Burger. And I think <laughs> the Bleeding B12 mm. Burger is <laughs> the, not the most attractive of names. You know, Beyond Burger, good. Impossible Burger, good. B12 Burger? Bleeding B12 Burger? I don't know. <laughs> and we should we should clarify, the thing that's debuting at Costco is a new Bleeding Burger from Donley Farms. It's not the Beyond Burger inside of Costco. It's a, a new brand of Bleeding Burger. So now we have at least four Bleeding Burgers. I think the Impossible Burger is the most bleeding of the burgers, <laughs> but I think it definitely got confused with the Beyond Burger and the, the bleeding aspect of it certainly seemed to be a part of the rhetoric at some point, but I wasn't sure if it was ascribed by other people or if that was something they were particularly pushing. But either way, they're both considered bleeding burgers by a lot of people. So we got four bleeding burgers, Paul, at, at least, at least. Let's rate them from bleediest to not bleediest. Impossible Can you burger, ring it out bleediest. and get a glass of blood? <laughs> so so I, I don't know who this is targeting except for maybe vampires and who this is going to be super attractive to. But, again, I, I feel like I got it. I got it at first when we first started talking about this. But it seems like people have latched onto this. And, and I am curious about that. And, and I'm, I am totally – I am not the person to ever say – Oh, this is this vegan product is too realistic, and and that's that's gross because again, this this product if it, if it converts people if people will eat this product rather than eat an animal product that's that's all that I that's all that I want to know. So if the bloodiness makes that happen, then cool. But I just don't. When people describe eating meat, I feel like like they don't ask themselves they don't ask their waiter how much will this burger bleed for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost as if, like, one company figured out, it, uh, it's not that hard to throw some flavored beet juice into our burgers, and everyone's jumping on that wagon, and it's like, they think that meat eaters need blood, and they're like, oh, you want blood? We got blood, we got blood, four <laughs> different burgers, we got blood everywhere. <laughs> it's like the, the like California blood rush or something, it's just like, every, everyone just, like, wants blood, and I'm like, I'm just waiting for someone to just start selling cans of vegan blood. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's like weird. And again, like you said, hey, if this is what people need, apparently people need blood. It, that's what appeals to them about eating meat is all this blood. Like, fine, whatever. But it's such a, yeah, it's just like this weird thing that's like that people are like latching onto now. And, and what it sounds to me is it's like this is vegans' perceptions of meat eaters, as if as if <laughs> as if most of us were also not meat eaters at one part. But it's like all these vegan chemists in this lab creating these things and be like these freaking carnists. All they want to do is all they want to do is bite into a big bloody burger. This is what they yeah. want. <laughs> It reminds me of like the vegan sidekick comics where they show the person who's not vegan depicted as like standing there like covered in blood while they're making their arguments. And it's like that's what people think that non-vegans yeah. are like. And they're like, yeah. I just love smearing blood all over me. I'm going to bathe <laughs> in this blood. I don't know. It's more of like an amusing observation than anything, I guess. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just what? I don't know. I don't know, Paul. Who knows? Who knows, Andy? I don't know. Cons consider that bone picked. <laughs> Thank you for humoring me. So the final news topic is from Fortune.com. San Francisco's latest animal-friendly law, banning fur sales. San Francisco, named for the patron saint of animals, does not take its title lightly. 
the city's supervisors voted unanimously Tuesday to ban the sale of fur. San Francisco will be the largest city to impose such a ban. Other California cities, West Hollywood and Berkeley, already have similar prohibitions in place. The San Francisco ban will take effect January 1, 2019 and will apply to a range of items, including fur keychains. Furriers and retailers that have fur in their inventory will be permitted to sell the remainder of their goods until January 2020. And the article concludes, San Francisco has already demonstrated its commitments to its furry pals through various regulations over the years. Last year, in a move to fight the puppy mill industry, the city voted to ban the sale of non-rescue dogs and cats and animals younger than eight weeks at local pet stores. And in 2015, San Francisco passed legislation that banned the performance of wild or exotic animals for public entertainment. The city also adheres to statewide laws, including one that imposes a blanket ban on puppy mill sales and another that prohibits the sale of faux gras. So San Francisco really doing it up. They're nailing it. And like, you know, Andy, we were talking, I think we mentioned this last week, but something that we've brought up a lot is how the role of laws is going to play effect into the vegan movement and i feel like even though we think that something like something has to happen with that we weren't really sure when it would happen or how it would happen but i think this is a this are good this these are good examples of these single issues that are happening in san francisco and and you know it's like when you start to put all these together maybe it is creating some sort of momentum like maybe just for this one city but then that city can be a model for other cities you know yeah definitely i think this is just a nice nice piece of news a nice bit of sunshine in our day right now i know that there might be some that would perhaps naysay it and say well this isn't the world going vegan it's not good enough it's it's a single issue victory but i think that things like this do accomplish something and i think that it's positive and we should praise it yeah yeah and and like I, i don't know i don't know i just think that something like this can really build up a lot of momentum if they keep and they're they're straight out banning all these different things they're banning the sale of fur they're banning animals from circuses they're banning faux gras they're banning puppy mills so it's 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 all these bans rather than just saying like oh we need to we're not banning circus animals we're making sure they're treated better we're not banning faux gras we're 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 changing around the regulations for how it has to be produced those sorts of things so yeah i like i like that word ban andy you're a band fan i'm a band fan (laughs) yeah definitely uh i'm all about it thank you for sharing that with us no problem all right so with that said uh shortly we're going to move on into our main discussion but before we do that we have to thank our amazing new patreon donors and someone someone on the instagram asked will you be reading the patreon donors every week as in every patreon donor every week and no because there are too many of you to list but we will be listing the new ones every time this little section comes around so Thank you very much to everyone that is willing to sustain us on a monthly basis. And shout-outs to Dina R. Antonio B. The Rafter. Great, great name. Sarah L. Haley B. Lindsay T. Hey, that's my sister. (laughs) Lisa E. And Elizabeth H. And Elizabeth also contributed to our PayPal, did a one-time PayPal donation as well. So 
thank you, Elizabeth, for thank stepping you. up in, in two different ways. And if you want to help support the podcast and get access to bonus episodes, potentially get early access up to three days early in almost every case since we've launched this Patreon, three days early, you can just go to thebeardvegans.com slash beardo, and that will give you some options for how you can help support us. That's thebeardvegans.com slash B-E-A-R-D-O. And thank you. So last week, in addition to the bonus episode that we already put up for the month of March, we also put up a little additional audio that was Andy's review of a lot of his products that he got to taste at Expo West, which I thought was pretty interesting. It was Andy reviewing them and me ooing and eyeing at all these great new <laughs> products. So if you're interested in that, that's another thing that we put up in the Patreon feed. Yeah. So check that out, and let's move on into our main discussion. So just in a second, I will be joined by Callie and Nicole from Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack. I know that we just did a joint episode together. Normally it's a once-a-year kind of thing, but here I was in California visiting San Diego, and I had, I had brought up to them a while ago that I, that I really appreciated the anti-capitalist perspective that they've really been bringing to their show in the last year, year and a half or so. But that I that I often get kind of lost in I you know I agree with a lot of the philosophies I agree I look at capitalism I see the horrible effects it has, but I get kind of lost when it means practicing it because I am someone that it's just like easier to keep my head down and go I know I need to do this specific thing and that's the way to do it so I came to them and I said can we have a conversation where we talk about what specific things can we do is it like a list of things. How do we talk to people? How do we advocate this to other people? And uh, as it turns out, Paul, it's not so cut and dry. Oh, the no. The anti-capitalist veganism. There, it's not, there's not a list. There's not a list of Ten Commandments to follow. So I think this conversation leads to some really interesting places. And I kind of really probed their their whole philosophy of how they look at veganism now, especially in terms of how they don't think veganism should be defined by our personal consumption necessarily and a lot of a lot of really interesting things to to think about and kick around in the old brain after this conversation so so with that said let's get to this conversation All right. Well, this is exciting because this is not a crossover episode. I have come to you two in search of knowledge. Hat in hand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Starting out. Uh, JK. So for anyone that's listened to you two for more than probably a year, they've noticed mm. probably a, a subtle to drastic shift in the stuff that you talk about and sort of the lens yes. that you look at it through. To the point where now you've changed your introduction of the show and you've added, you lead with the fact that you are an anti-capitalist show or you look at things through that lens. So I wanted to come to you because I am someone that I listen to your show and I, and I hear your episodes where you talk specifically about anti-capitalism and its relationship to veganism. And I go, I agree with that. But how, how do I navigate that in, in like the real world? How do I advocate for, for that with other people? And so, so that's why I'm here. And I hope we can get to the bottom of some of that stuff. But I think before we do that, it'd be good to just start off with like kind of a basic primer. For for those that are just totally unfamiliar with this topic, could you explain what is capitalism 
and maybe say why it's bad. <laughs> yeah, well, we are so excited that you wanted to do this episode with us. It has been a pretty drastic switch, I feel, um, at times subtle, but I think overall pretty drastic that the show has really veered more towards an anti-capitalist show than I think probably arguably anything else. And I think for myself personally, I don't want to speak for Nicole, but being anti-capitalist has kind of become the central point that all of my other like anti-oppression work stems from. So a basic idea of what capitalism is, and I would argue also why it's bad, (laughs) to understand capitalism, capitalism is a system which will have unlimited growth, right? Capitalism is based on constantly growing, constantly making more for cheaper, being more efficient, lowering costs. It's just this, like, never-ending machine that, like, continues to eat up more and more resources. And by resources, I mean, like, time and the environmental resources and um, commodities, you know, in in all ways. And especially animals, I would say. I mean, the capitalist machine is what is driving millions and millions of animals to, you know, be used for their bodies every year. So the reason we are so anti-capitalist and we think everyone should be is because there is no stopping it. There's no... There's no reigning in capitalism because every year you have to continue to increase your profits. You know, businesses, it it always struck me when I worked, um, my last job was a lot more like corporate-y than my current one is. And it struck me that every year, no matter if we met our goals or not, the goals would always be raised. There was one year in particular, I remember that we... We did twice as much business as we had predicted that we would do. I mean, that is, that's not like meeting your goal. That is doing your goal and then exceeding it by like the whole amount again. And yet the next year we still had like a 30% growth goal over the goal from the year before. Mm -hmm. So there's just no, there's no slowing it down. Did that huge growth translate over to more pay for you as a worker? It sure did not. <laughs> no, and that's part of the problem is capitalism. And there's a really good explanation of um, a lot more detailed than we're going to be today on the Vegan Vanguard podcast. They just did an episode. Um, I can't remember which one it is. I think maybe it was episode four. But anyway, it was um, the blueprint of how to dismantle capitalism (laughs) was the episode. And they talked a lot about what capitalism is. And capitalism is a system where capitalists retain the capital, the wealth. And then everybody else is basically just a cog in the machine that generates that profit. And that is the point. It's the privatization of wealth and commodities, which... I would argue otherwise should be shared amongst the entire community, not just people getting wealthy. I mean, the fact that we have, what is it? uh, What was the recent article? It said like seven of the richest people in the United States now own more wealth or like took in more wealth than like the bottom 80%. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like, that's asinine when you think about it. I think the easiest way to understand why capitalism is bad is because it creates a hierarchy. The entire system is basically set up to profit a few at the top, and then everybody else is just kind of left stuck, like, 
fighting over resources to survive. And I think for me, why capitalism has become such a central point in my um, work as an activist to oppose oppression is because capitalism is kind of the original hierarchy, right? Our entire lives are based around our value in dollars, Someone should not have to justify their right to survive based on how much profit they can generate for a business owner. The fact that we have people who are starving and they can't buy food, the fact that we have people that are without homes is just because this system tells them that they don't bring enough value to generate income for someone else. We shouldn't have hierarchies. We shouldn't have racism, sexism. We shouldn't have speciesism. Anything that values some lies over others is oppressive and terrible in my book. And that is what capitalism is on its front, right? Like you just can't, you can't have this system that rates people based on their dollars and then argue that it's not inherently oppressive. And the capitalist system goes even one step further because now we have criminalized things like poverty and homelessness. In order, we have privatized prison systems. So now not having money, not having access doesn't just get you a lack of resources. It actually gets you put back in the system to make money for corporations yet again. So they've found a way to, at every step, make sure that they're profiting off their citizens, even the citizens who have nothing and are, you know, dying or in peril or in need of assistance, which is why we're also anti-mass incarceration. So it all kind of just ties in together and informs um, our activism today. Yeah, we did an episode on the high cost of being poor. We also did um, two episodes as well on mass incarceration earlier in 2017. And if you're not familiar with these topics, we really recommend you go back and listen because we're not going to have the time today to point out all the ways that the system, like Nicole says, really does criminalize poverty um, and makes it a personal failing that someone can't afford to buy food instead of a sign that like society isn't providing for its people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really recommend you go back and you listen to those episodes because once you start to see like how how people are used and how the system is really set up to maintain a poor class. That's the other thing with capitalism, too, is people think like, well, look at how much wealth it's generated. Well, look at how many poor people it's generated. And they say like, well, if you don't like your job, if you don't make enough money, then get a new job. Well, that just means that you're saying whoever does do that job, which you're arguing is necessary, should be poor to do that job. Like, why are we still debating over whether or not fast food workers deserve $15 an hour, which, by the way, is still a starvation wage? Yeah. You know, we can't even agree on $15 an hour. And people say, well, if you don't want to work in fast food, then go to school and get a better job. Well, are you saying we should abolish fast food restaurants then? Because someone still has to do that job for that wage. Right. So you're trying to maintain this, like, class system, which means some people are always going to be, like, food insecure and struggle just to survive. I'm not okay with that. Yeah, and those are the externalized costs of capitalism. 
you know, you can't have a cheap product and ever increasing profits without somebody paying for that somewhere along the way. And that's often the people who don't have, who are financially insecure and get stuck where they can't go to school. They can't improve their lot in life. Um, and also people who just don't want to, you have people who are disabled, you have people who are sick, you have people who just, I mean, this is a whole conversation we could get into, but the fact that we believe that everyone should be working and working all the time just to have food so that someone else can get rich is really a ridiculous concept when you actually step back and think about it that way. But so many of us sign off on that as like, yeah, that's, that's what makes you a good person, right? That's what, how many times do you hear, I'm an upstanding citizen, I pay my taxes, <laughs> right? I have a good yep. job. And that's how we actually define ourselves as citizens in this country when really, I mean, I want my neighbor to have a hundred more qualities before I give a shit about what their job is, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> that's why capitalism's the worst. Well, I'm sold. <laughs> well, uh, we're yay. <laughs> Episode done. Yep. So, yeah, that was obviously sort of like a basic primer yeah. and, and for listeners of the Beard Vegans. Definitely, if you have not for some weird reason got to listen to all of the Vegan Warrior Princes Attack episodes, Aww. there's hundreds of hours that explain those things in much He's more not depth. Even exaggerating. No. <laughs> you may be shortchanging it, if anything. <laughs> Uh, well, we're, we'll knock off the first year or so of the yeah. podcast. <laughs> but, that's uh, fair. So, so for anyone that's like me, it's like, okay, that sounds horrible. I don't like capitalism. Why, why do you think that's related to veganism and animal liberation? And why should someone, if for some reason they're like, I only, I'm single-mindedly focused on animal liberation, why should they care and be an anti-capitalist vegan? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, it's because at its heart, capitalism relies on unlimited growth. You know, you can't be satisfied with just doing what you did the year before. You can't be satisfied with making the same profits you made before. You have to continually be making more, making more money, producing more goods, cutting your cause. And that is always going to work against the environment and most especially animals. You know, we are seeing that even though there's a decrease in demand in certain places to small degrees of animal products, we're still seeing that to continue to house animals, more and more land is being eaten up by um, a lot of times public land. Also, if anyone has seen, you know, the movie Cowspiracy and some other environmental films, you'll see that public land is a lot of times turned into private land and given to these farms to house the animals. We're seeing the destruction of the rainforest. We're seeing the destruction of the oceans, which, by the way, terrifies the fuck out of me. <laughs> like, I... I <laughs> it's like daily horrifies me how precarious the situation with our oceans are because it's like that takes up such a huge amount like it produces so much oxygen and and everything else like when the oceans die like I don't know how that would not also like kill almost all other life on earth but anyway um <laughs> so being pro-capitalism like inherently doesn't make any sense when you're talking about the animals. The animals are always going to be seen as commodities, as capital in a capitalist system. The system is always going to try to profit off of making money on any commodity it can. And speciesism and capitalism like go hand in hand. Like how could they not? What would you say to someone that says Capitalism's not the problem. If everyone was vegan, we could have like responsible capitalism. It wouldn't be harming the animals and it wouldn't be doing all these other horrible things. 
again, I just really, I don't know that that's possible because you can't, you can't rein in a system that's literally meant to like always have growth. So I know this is probably an aggravating point to bring up to a vegan audience because we hear this a lot, right? Like, what if the world went vegan tomorrow? Like, what would we do with all of these farm animals? Like, the world would be overrun with cows, and we're always like, no, it wouldn't be. Like, you're you're breeding the animals to have as many, like, you know, babies as they are so they can be used in the system. But, like, for a second, uh, since this is a vegan show and vegan audience, um, what would happen if we all went vegan tomorrow? What would we do with all those animals? Maybe we're not continuing to breed them at the rates we are now, obviously, because we wouldn't need to be slaughtering them uh, the way we are. But capitalism is not going to give any resources towards caring for any of these animals or fixing the land damage that's been done or fixing all of the environmental destruction that's occurred. I mean, seriously, what are we going to do with all these lagoons of shit that are floating around and all the rainforests that we've been, that we've cut down to make uh, grazing land for cows? What are we going to do with the hundreds of millions of animals in captivity that are, just like waiting to be slaughtered. You think capitalism is going to care for those animals? You think capitalism is going to spend any resources on feeding those animals when we can't even feed people in our own countries? Like we can't even feed people in our own communities. Homelessness is criminalized and yet we're going to care for, you know, millions of cows? Like I don't I don't think so. Yeah, that's that is such a good point because obviously should the system of animal agriculture end and there were animals left, even if it was like a gradual over time, there will still be animals that are displaced by it and they're no longer generating profit for anybody. Yeah. And I know that like, obviously the world isn't going to go vegan overnight. So that's kind of an extreme and silly example, but still like capitalism is based on profit at all costs. So how does that align with caring for any life, human or non-human animal. So we have to keep in mind it's uh, basically impossible to separate the history of animal agriculture from the history of capitalism and capital accumulation and to separate animal agriculture and capitalism from neo colonialism. Animal agriculture takes up a huge amount of land and requires the privatization of land, water, and the displacement of entire communities. So what I mean by this is that Animal agriculture is actually a mechanism for us to go and colonize for corporate profit. And so I feel that even if everyone went vegan tomorrow, they would find different ways to still go colonize land. And that would displace animals, not to mention the impact it has on the communities there. So you can't really get away from the fact that we've used animal agriculture to basically colonize one third of the planet. Because one third of the planet is dedicated to well, one-third of the earth on the planet is dedicated to livestock in either growing food for or being land for. So we can't just naively assume that because we're all eating fruits and veggies tomorrow that capitalism isn't going to find another mechanism to still go colonize the planet and displace animals, ruin habitats, destroy rainforests, et cetera, et cetera, and also have a negative impact on the communities that they're displacing. 
I guess when I start to think about the implications of of looking at capitalism in this way and how it can relate to veganism, to me it sort of says like we have to think totally differently about veganism in itself. And I guess what I mean by that is I think that most people, myself included, for a long time at least, would think about veganism as sort of like a consumer boycott and supply and demand. I'm not buying this thing, therefore animals are not going to die because of it. And so I'm wondering, do you think that that's not a productive way to look at veganism? Yeah, I don't think it's a productive. <laughs> I don't think it's a productive yeah, no. way. <laughs> um, and I know I probably just broke so many hearts or enraged so many people. Um, but you know, this is really difficult. And this we got from our friend um, Marine from a privileged vegan. She gave an amazing speech at um, an event we went to with her in London last year. But she talked about the fact that we may, arguably, may be having a difference on some of the Western countries as far as animal agriculture, but these corporations are just taking their business and growing at exponential levels in other areas. Like China, I think, is opening like a McDonald's a day in rural China or something. So, yeah, we, we want to... And I, I get it. I get feeling so overwhelmed by animal agriculture and the harm that's done to animals that we just have to feel like we're doing something that makes a difference. And I do think it makes a difference for us not to be consuming animals because it recognizes their life and that we shouldn't be able to commodify them. But I think we're really kidding ourselves if we st- end the conversation at thinking like our consumer choices are really going to have a big impact on, you know, these ginormous industries. I mean, we thought in the United States that we did such a good job at, um, fighting back against the cigarette industry, right? Like we pushed back on them. We put all these restrictions, we taxed it and a lot less people smoke than they used to, you know, back before we knew how harmful it was. But if you look at it, these big cigarette companies have just gone to other countries, you know, places like Africa and where there's a lot less restrictions and a lot less conversation on um, banning them. So we just can't really think that our personal uh, choices are going to end up like really truly disrupting this industry just by what we buy. Now I think what we buy plays a part. I just don't think it's the entire conversation and I think a lot of the vegan community right now the mainstream movement just kind of stops at like your choices will <laughs> solve the problem, you know. Your what you eat for lunch will save the world and I just don't think that that's realistic. And it's hard because I was one of those people that wanted to calculate the number of lives I had saved. But the reality is that supply and demand is like a cute thing to believe in. And it's true to a point. But if you have companies that have already invested money in killing hundreds of thousands to billions of animals a year, they're not going to stop killing those animals. Nothing's going to save their lives in that year and probably even in many following years they're still going to have to figure out how to make a profit off of those animals whether you consume them personally or not so we can't again we're not saying that personal consumer choices don't matter at all they certainly do 
to a point, but you can't stop there and think that that solves a problem because it doesn't. And if you've been paying attention on our show, we often talk about company, and I know you do as well, companies who are buying out these vegan companies. And it's hard to find a pretty popular vegan product nowadays that isn't owned by a larger parent company that's doing other things. And that's by design. They're like, oh, this is a booming market. We're going to get in on it. Um, So again, you're just you're still funneling money over to people who are like, okay, Americans aren't eating as much red meat anymore. We're going to go ship this overseas and sell it to someone else, or we're going to sell it to the school districts or, you know, whatever we're going to do with it. But like our government buys out dairy surplus. Yes. (laughs) Right. So it's, it's, it's just very naive to think that your personal purchase is having a, a resonating effect on the lives of animals without understanding and following more how the whole food system works and how these corporations work. Because they're not just going to throw up their hands and be like, well, people just didn't want this this year, so I guess we're just going to take less profits. That's They can't do that. They have boards of investors. They have people they have to answer to. So they're just always going to be finding ways to... Um, I mean, companies are actively spending money increasing demand for meat um, for animal products overseas. So it's just like with cigarettes, like Callie was saying, we may have been able to decrease in demand here, but they're going to artificially increase it somewhere else. And they're going to find ways to make money off of it. Do you think, though, that if we had like a vegan world, which obviously there's all sorts of obstacles to that, but like someone would say, okay, well, the U.S. population is going vegan, so these companies go elsewhere and still they profit off the United States population because they're buying XYZ vegan product. And then they're selling meat to whatever other nation, but then someone would say, well, doesn't that just other nation need to go vegan? And wouldn't that just solve the problem if everyone just went vegan? I mean, you could say that. And I guess if you care only about animals being killed for food, then perhaps, and that's a big perhaps because I probably don't know enough about how secret evil things they do with animals. (laughs) But this is where, I mean, I guess this is the point at which you would need to buy into the fact that any exploitation leads to all exploitation because you're for sure still going to have exploitation of people. And again, I'm, you know, probably not thinking of how they could do it, but I still feel like animals would be exploited in that as well. Maybe for labor, maybe in maybe loss of land, who knows what, but you just can't really, you can't really eliminate exploitation in a capitalist system. It's impossible. You're still going to have, I mean, that's what like, look at, um, cigarette companies, that's technically not an animal product. And yet, um, if any of you have seen the John, John Oliver episode about this, I was horrified, but these companies have gone over into small countries and their, their profits are more than like the GDC of the country. So they threaten to sue them if they try to do like warnings on the packages or make the cigarettes harder to purchase. So the companies are basically, I mean, the countries are basically held hostage by the cigarette companies and have to, essentially allow them to promote and distribute a harmful toxic product to their citizens so that's what i'm talking about like maybe people who only care about animals are like i don't care about that okay well then i i guess (laughs) you know what can i say but i mean there's a reason that people who are truly anti-capitalist do as much as they can to you know say grow their own food or 
swap items and not buy new stuff. It's just because you you understand that there's just always exploitation built into the system, and the system will always find a way. I mean, we talk, we've all talked about it, but like how um, the Impossible Burger was tested on animals. So you could say, okay, that's a vegan product by a vegan company. I mean, obviously, most of us would not call it vegan anymore, but you could say that's a plant-based product, but yet still animals are exploited in that process because they wanted to prove that, I guess, that their burger was not harmful. I still don't even really know why they did it. So that's what I mean. I mean, you'd have to tackle animal testing. You just, you can't solve everything just by not purchasing a certain item, especially if you're giving that money to a company that's still engaged in any kind of exploitation. I think you make a great point about specifically the the land use because that's something that isn't technically an animal being used, but this system of infinite growth obviously will require more and more land use, which displaces animals and has all sorts of negative effects there. So that's sort of like this externality that people don't really think about. But even even if Gardein's empire expands, they're going to have to use land and resources that's encroaching upon wild animals, which is obviously something that vegans should be cared about. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And in a system like capitalism where dollar is king, right? Like whoever, it's like a fucked up real life version of Monopoly. Like whoever has the most money is winning. Like, are you telling me that there's not going to be a huge black market for animal products? Like even if we were to make the world vegan, like even if we were to outlaw animal products, that there wouldn't be people that would just like continue to slaughter animals to make money like if you're in a system where money's the only thing that really matters like of course there's still going to be animal exploitation because there will be people to pay for it switching gears just a little bit more in terms of like tactics and like what does this look look like and that's kind of what i really want to get at how do you like personally practice this because i think for me as someone that's like there's all these huge problems in the world and what can I do about war? And what can I do about poverty? And what, what can I do about all of these things? And it feels nice to just sort of have this, this list of rules sort of handed down to me. And I go, well, if I don't eat this and I don't go to the rodeo and I don't purchase leather, then like I'm tackling all of these issues all at once and I feel good about it. And then you throw all this in, in the mix and I'm like, well, wait, how do I? There, I can't buy a piece of anti-capitalism. <laughs> I, like how, you literally can't. <laughs> That's like although they'll find a way. Yeah, they'll find a way. Like you can you can go to like Hot Topic and buy an Anarchy shirt, I guess. But yeah. like it's it's not something that you purchase. So right. and it's it's not something. I guess it is could be something that you avoid doing, like avoid going to the rodeo or something. But. Like, what is that to you? What does that look like? I think that's where I usually get hung up and why I feel like it's hard for me to when I'm just sort of out talking to people and they ask me, what can I do? I say, oh, well, do this, this, this. And, and I get hung up on like, what, what do we advocate to people? And like, so like for you personally, like, can this be boiled down to personal practices or is it mm-hmm. something entirely different than that? It's a great question, and it's something that we're still working on and developing. Um, I think one thing that's really important to understand is when you ki- when you enter this space, if you're not coming from already an anti-capitalist, like anarchist or socialist or whatever your personal philosophy is, um, background, it can be it can be very overwhelming, and I certainly still struggle with that constantly. Um, 
especially in the political environment that we're in today, pretty much anywhere you're living today, um, it can be really overwhelming to feel like this problem is so big that you can't go about your day doing a few things that you know are helping. So I just want to acknowledge that and also say that you need to give yourself time and space to kind of work through this. At least I've needed that and am still doing it. It's not something like going vegan that I was able to do overnight (laughs) and wake up the next day and be like, look at me making such a difference. And I, I think that allows you to know how important it is. Because, you know, the really important things are never very easy. And this is a very nuanced conversation. This is why Callie and I, our podcast, is a tough thing to just step into. And, under, you know, we don't make people feel good, <laughs> in a sense. Um, because we're here to, like, really talk this stuff out over, you know, a few hours and um, pick it apart. And then at the end, it's kind of like sort of the first step of doing this work is understanding that there is no roadmap for you, that you're on your own. And uh, we always liken it, we're both atheists, and we always kind of liken it to like going atheist and realizing like, fuck, no one's telling me what to do. (laughs) There's no rules. I just have to like figure this out on my own. And um, I think that's part of it. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of things in our society that are harmful are still also kind of appealing is because they, they give us a sense of knowing when we're doing good and knowing when we're doing bad. Um, there's so many different things we could bring up like body positivity you know that's something that has also been commodified in recent days because capitalism is like oh okay we can do that you know and like find ways to make that marketable um but like nobody wants to feel bad about their body and yet so many of us buy into it right because we're in this system that tells us like you're bad if you look this way you're good if you look this way And even though a lot of us can kind of, if we stepped back from that, be like, that's completely arbitrary and bullshit. And like, I love people who don't look that way, or I'm attracted to people who don't look that way, or like, I don't look that way, but I love myself. We can see that it's, it's bullshit. And yet we also, a lot of us feel, I mean, we all know people who completely buy into that narrative and they live their life. Like I should be like, people have actually said out loud, like I should be happy or I should be married because I'm thin. Right. I mean, I've like actually heard people say that. And while on the surface, we could just judge a person saying that that's really a reflection of the system that they're in is a system that is setting up values for, you know, if we're a valuable citizen or not. Again, do we have a good job? Do we pay our taxes? Do we look a certain way? And as bullshit and hurtful as it is, the reason so many people buy into it is because it gives them a sense of of almost safety, I guess, like in a weird way, it makes people feel safe to kind of know where the lines are. Same, I would argue with organized religion. You know, a lot of people, why would you follow something that's so restrictive and that tells you what to do? But it's because a lot of people actually need to be told what to do. So I guess I'm saying the first step is to to just acknowledge that part of this work is stepping away from that mindset and that it is a scary free falling kind of place and to put support in place for yourself as best you can to deal with that because it is very difficult work. Yeah. I love everything you just said, Nicole. I, something we talk about a lot on our show as our listeners who are listening to this now know, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that we need to like get more comfortable with having nuanced conversations. I think, um, people have always probably been, um, 
really liked simplistic things. You know, as Andy, as you were saying, a lot of people like... Like, they want to know the rules. They want to know what's okay, what's not okay, what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. It, it helps us feel secure. I think it's part of uh, the way our brains are set up to, like, cate- categorize things to make it easier to make decisions and move forward. But I think we really are seeing this nowadays with social media and how everything is so fast and quick. And we live in this, like, memeable world, right, where everybody want, you know, they, they want to know your political position on a bumper sticker or on a meme. Like, they, they want to be able to discuss, like be anti-racist or anti-this or in like one sentence or less. I mean, freaking Twitter was this whole platform that came out of like tweets in 140 characters or less. I can't write a tweet in a hundred and I can't write anything in 140 characters or less. I am not. I am always that person who's having to do like the series of linked tweets because I just... I mean, our listeners know most of our episodes are like, if we make it under two hours, we think it's a successful day. <laughs> so, so I think we just really need to try to to recognize that we have this predilection for trying to keep things short and simple. And we need to fight against that every day and know that like the world would be so much better off if we all took a little bit more time and tried to think about things critically and with more nuance and know that there's very little that falls into like right or wrong. Yes. And I would also say um, before we move into maybe some more tips (laughs) as much as we have them, another way that's been helpful for me to think about this and kind of explain it to other people is think about your feminism. Think about your anti-racism. I mean, do you define those by what you buy? No. I mean, you define them by what you believe, how you vote, how you treat people of that class. Um, you know, the actions you take in a day, which you could argue are what you buy, but it's not a consumerist view of, you can show up and be a feminist, a feminist, and nobody asks you like, well, what shampoo do you buy? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so I think part of, I know defining veganism by consumption is very comfortable because again, it gives you a very beautiful framework that you can follow and you can feel like I'm doing all the right things, but it also kind of infantilizes your political stance to maybe not to yourself, but to the outside world, because that is the conversation you'll have with any Joe on the street. They're like, well, what do you eat? What do you buy? And you never really get into a heady conversation about animal liberation which is really um where i want to say true veganism but i don't want to be like judgy um but that's really where like a true political stance would go right it would be a a pro-animal liberation stance but that's not the dialogue that you get into with people so just um recognize that this is a way to kind of mature and also radicalize what you're doing um and that there's probably other things that you are that you're already not defining by consumption you may try for instance to purchase things that don't exploit people or women specifically but i'm sure you're not you not going about your day where every single thing you buy and purchase has that check to it and yet you still wake up in the morning feeling like you can call yourself a feminist or an anti-racist or you know whatever it is you fight for so just think about it the way you think of other things and i think it starts to make more sense and also just acknowledge that this 
is very tricky because this is the food we eat. And so it is just inherently, it's the food we eat, it's the, you know, beauty products we use, it's the clothes we wear. So it is inherently trickier than other things. I mean, we're not eating people literally, but as Lauren Ornelas says from the Food Empowerment Project, you know, talking to people who have been um, chocolate slaves, they would equate the chocolate you're eating that comes from their labor to eating their flesh. So if you take that into account, then in a way we are consuming people with our purchases as well. And yet again, we still get to walk around feeling like we have these political views. So not to do it in a hypocritical way, but also to see that I think with other movements, we acknowledge the ways in which capitalism keeps us from being able to like be a hundred percent all the time with our money. Um, and yet still feeling like because we're doing these other things like voting and treating people a certain way and building community and doing activism, we still feel that we can wear that label proudly and have those political conversations. Wow. That's, that's a great point. I love that, that like feminism could influence the shampoo you buy. If mm-hmm. said company does something horrible and sexist, you say, I'm not going to support them anymore, but that's not the only thing that you're worried about. Right. And when you were talking about like the 140 characters and people want these simple things as me thinking about, when these conversations come up, people all, almost always say, what's the alternative? And they want you to say it's socialism or it's Marxism or like whatever it might be. And they want you to just say, well, here's replace capitalism with this other, you know, slot A into slot B kind of thing. <laughs> and just just change it out for something else that we already know exists because that's simple. And we know how socialism works or people think they know how socialism works. You know, like, by the way, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't. But. <laughs> But yeah, it has me th- it has me thinking about that. That it's it's most likely that the solution, as much as there can be one, is probably not something that currently exists right now, or at least not as it exists right now. Yeah, I mean, in our in our culture, especially, I mean, in the United States, I don't know if this is a popular phrase other places too, but there's a cliche that's like the devil you know is better than the devil you don't i really feel like that sums up like a lot of the way like people live their lives (laughs) you know and i think that that's a lot with capitalism right like we clearly see that there are people that are um going without food and shelter and are having to struggle to survive but we kind of go like well what else is out there well we don't really know so like well, capitalism is fine. You know? <laughs> and I think we just need to like get away from thinking that like just because we don't exactly know how ex- things will work, we can't just keep the system that we have in place because we're scared about finding out what comes next. You know, that I think shows our privilege that it's like, well, I'm not maybe I'm not like suffering as much as others and I'm not comfortable with what could happen in like in the future in a different kind of system. I don't exactly know how socialism works or I don't exactly know how communism or anarchy would work. So capitalism is fine. You know, that's all too scary. And it's like, well, it may be fine for you. I would argue that it's probably not. Um, most people are deeply unhappy because of capitalism and I, they don't quite realize, but again, like other people are literally dying by the thousands because of this system. And we, we can't ignore that. Just like we can't ignore the thousands and millions of animals that are dying because of this system as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's by design. I mean, the middle class, you know, which is arguably the most influential politically in this country, 
are afraid of these things because they have just enough to be afraid of losing it. You know, they have just enough to be comfortable enough to know that they could be way more uncomfortable, <laughs> right? They're not wealthy enough to be like, oh, I can just have whatever idea I want because I'm padded by wealth and nothing can touch me. They know, I mean, the middle class is, whether they're consciously aware of it or not, is keenly aware that at any minute, you know, that they're a step or two away from being in someone else's shoes, which weirdly should give them empathy and yet does the usually does the opposite of just I will do anything to not be in that place and I will not have sympathy for those people and I want to believe that they deserve to be where they are because I want to believe that I can prevent being where they are which is a mentality that surfaces in all kinds of horrible ways in our culture but I would say uh, one of my tips that I have for people in having this conversation is to basically stop the all or nothing mentality. It's um, something that's kind of hardwired into us. And if we can break away from that, we can be more open to the subtle changes we can make with each other. And that could happen, you know, just being open to things and understanding that nobody has the answer right now. They really don't. There's no perfect answer out there right now. But what is really important is to get people like, people in the middle class having empathy and understanding that we're in a system that's broken or that works just fine for the people it's supposed to work for. You know, if you can get normies on the street thinking that mass incarceration is bad, being concerned about consuming animal products and the exploitation of animals, being concerned with people having enough food to eat and having shelter, we can really change things. Something will happen. But right now, we don't even have people believing that that's... I mean, we have a lot of people who don't even believe that those are bad things. So do that work first. Just connect with other people. Say to them, too, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, but I know this doesn't work. And I want to start doing what can we do. Let's talk about it. Let's make small changes within our community or with each other, or just with how we wake up and and interact with the world, it can make a big difference. And um, because we, you know, we give this, this speech, and we have this talk, and then we get that back from people all the time, well, what's the solution? And part of that is people wanting a framework to feel comfortable. But another part of that is people wanting to derail the conversation into picking apart why your solution wouldn't work. So I'd say be a little radical, and don't give them something to pick apart, make them tell you why they shouldn't feel this way. Like make them tell you why financially insecure people should starve. Like, please, no, you, sir, you tell me why that's okay. And then maybe someday we'll talk about what my proposed solution is. Like I'm some kind of economics major and would have any idea anyway. Right. And it's also very silencing. It's a way for people to be like, oh, you're not educated enough or you don't, if you don't have all of the information, I'm not going to listen to you. And that's a very oppressive mindset. We should be able to listen to anybody with an idea and have a dialogue. And again, that's like a very anti-capitalist, anti-oppressive mindset to go into conversations with. So I think the only easy tip we have to give to you today, Um, because a lot of these things are not cut and dry. They're very philosophical. Um, But this is an easy one. The thing that you can do tomorrow to be anti-capitalist is to stop using the phrase voting with your dollar. Like, just cut that out of your vocabulary. Like, right the fuck now. Never say it again. (laughs) 
Um, and I say this with empathy because I used to say this when I was a newbie vegan and it gave me a lot of comfort to feel like I was doing something. Like I was taking an action every day with every meal. I was voting with my dollars and it took, um, I'm just raining all these dollars that I'm voting with <laughs> all over the place. Vote, vote, vote. <laughs> Y'all are missing it, but both Andy and Nicole right now are like miming, making it rain. We're voting in the strip club. <laughs> See yeah. how oppressive and ridiculous that sounds? That is like a whole, whole other thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's taken me listening to a lot of really passionate and intelligent activists, including my dear friend Nicole, to point out to me how problematic that phrase is. Because the dark side of saying voting with your dollar means that people who don't have dollars don't get votes. And I don't think that that's really what people think that they're saying when they say that. You know, they see the positive side and they see, like, that they're getting to use the capital, (laughs) their social capital and real capital, (laughs) right? To like make a political statement that animals aren't commodities. And yet what you're saying is people that like can't make that decision basically don't like shouldn't have a say that they're invisible, that they don't matter to society. I don't know how a movement that recognizes that animals should have rights and autonomy can then not Turn ar- like that can turn around and then not think that like our fellow humans should not have the the same rights and autonomy. Like our dollars shouldn't matter any more than like someone else's right to vote. And also like voting with their dollars, not just right to vote, but also voting rights. Like that's a problem too. We're seeing right now that in this country we're having huge political issues, and a big reason for that, besides just the fact that corruption goes back since when this country was founded, um, (laughs) that Citizens United was overturned, and now political speech is, like, money is considered political speech, your right to free speech. So you have, like, millionaires and billionaires that are dumping millions of dollars into election cycles, and their voice, by the way, means a lot more than yours. So you think their millions of dollars, if you really want to argue the base that, like, how much say we have in the political process is based on how much money we have. Like, why would any of us be okay with that system when we are not the ones with millions in the bank? So I think kind of following that vein of what Callie was talking about, um, one of the things I think is really important specifically for vegans is to stop judging people. Stop judging how vegan people are. And especially stop judging them by what they currently own. So when we started the show, I talked about still having leather boots that I wear because they're in good shape and I didn't see why I should get rid of them and then go purchase new ones, right? And um, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, me too. Like I'm totally into using things till they fall apart or, you know, repairing things or whatever. Like I... Because it also, like, intersects with things like trying to be low-waste, trying to be anti-consumerist. And then, of course, other people lost their shit and were like, you can't, like, why would you wear human skin boots and, you know, that whole thing. (laughs) 
And it was like, you know, honestly, it's kind of a straw man question because wearing humans isn't normalized. So it's still a shocking thing to say, but it's like, yeah, if it had been normalized for all of our entire lives and for several generations ahead of us, then I probably would, you know, you're, you're kind of conflict like it's like someone saying like well would you eat your pet dog and it's like in some countries yeah like it's just because certain things have been normalized here but you're just kind of cherry picking things that somehow haven't been anyway that's a whole tangent but um but I just think that's kind of the point is like stop judging other people's veganism and especially when it just comes down to things that they already own that they have decided to use until they're gone or until they break or whatever because by doing this, I mean, I've talked to people who refused to call themselves vegan until they replaced every non-vegan item in their closet, in their house, their furniture, I mean, beauty products. And I'm like, uh, okay, I like, I just can't, I'm like, I can't imagine the expense, first of all. And then just also like the time and energy that would go into that. And it's like, again, how is that showing up in a political way in your life? You know, how you're just running around giving yourself to do items basically so that you can feel you've achieved the sense of purity. And this person was coming, I th- they were actually coming out of a very vulnerable place of saying, I don't feel like I can be in this movement until I've achieved, you know, this like level 10 veganness. <laughs> and then I can call myself a vegan and then I can be a part of this movement. And if that's how we're making people feel, we're not going to get anywhere. And we're also going to isolate a lot of people who cannot afford to do those things. And again, then you're running out and you're just buying a bunch of new stuff. And let's be honest, like a lot of vegan shoes are made from plastics that are not good for the environment and that are probably made from labor that is not great, you know, because people say, oh, well, you can get some cheap shoes. And it's like, well, cheap shoes come at a cost, like cheap products always have a cost somewhere and we should care about that. So I just think this whole culture of having this set of rules and judging other people by it, particularly around the items that they own and choose to continue to use or wear is really critical. And I think that's a really hard hang up that a lot of like people get stuck at that point. And I think that that is very telling. I think it's very telling that your veganism is so heavily defined by consumption that you cannot move past that point that you honestly think people who can't afford to replace all of their non-vegan items are not allowed to call themselves vegan. Because again, you always have to flip it and say, what are you really saying? And what you're really saying is that financially insecure people can't be vegan. And that's not cool. It's not cool. And then, yes, that does expand out into food for me and Callie that, you know, if you have someone who's for whatever reason, we just we just did an episode last week about returned ex-vegans and their stories. And, you know, one of them was someone was financially insecure and could not afford to always be vegan at every meal. They had a mother who had take them out to lunch and pay for lunch and the mom didn't want to pay for vegan food. I'm not going to judge that person. I'm not going to tell that person that they're not vegan because that's their situation and people cannot get past that. And I understand you're consuming animals. You're in some way still participating in the exploitation of those animals. But like, let's be real. We all participate in the exploitation of somebody every day. All of us do. We can't get away from it. We can't help it. Um, We can all do the best that we can do, but none of us are safe from it. 
And, you know, we've talked about the Impossible Burger, but Kelly and I also found out a popular brand of tofu also tested on animals. And I've eaten that brand of tofu a billion times. So slight exaggeration. Um, <laughs> only slight. <laughs> only slight. Well, that tofu. So do you know what I mean? Like, does that mean that I'm not vegan now or that I wasn't vegan when that was happening? No, of course not. And it, it just, we just have to get more comfortable again, like Callie said, with nuance and with understanding that we need to allow people to come into this movement as a political stance and not like they're following like the 10 commandments of veganism, because that is, it, it's always going to be leaving someone out of the conversation. And then that means our movement is inherently impressive, which what is the point at that point? Yeah, we talk about this on our show a lot. Um, it was definitely a big shift for us in the in this last year. But veganism should be something you practice. It should be a radical political stance that you practice and not a label that you wear. And I say that as a person that has a vegan tattoo. <laughs> Nicole does <Same>. as well. <laughs> um, so we get the label. I still will use the word vegan to identify myself. But I think if we, in our own minds at least, switch up this idea of not like, oh, I broke a rule and am I vegan? Am I not vegan? This kind of takes that whole like vegan card of vegan police out of the equation if we stop looking at it as something that you can like qualify as and more of like a thing that you do every day. What are you doing every day to disrupt the exploitation of animals, to fight for animal liberation? Yeah. And just think about how fragile is our movement if some external force or some particular circumstance can suddenly completely negate our veganism. Where are we going to get with that? If we're all running around checking labels and that's our number one concern, what kind of political difference are we going to be able to really make? What kind of social change are we going to be able to really make when we're wearing a label that's that fragile? So yeah, instead of saying, I'm vegan and centering yourself in your veganism, we recommend you say, I practice veganism because I'm pro-animal liberation, pro-animal rights, anti-oppression, Etc. And that really recenters the animals in what you're doing. It takes you and your personal identity out of it. And it focuses more on the ways that you are showing up every day. Again, like being a feminist, like I fuck, I still have a ton of ter- internalized sexism that I'm working through. There's no woman on earth who doesn't. I mean, it's just impossible. And so, but I don't say, I don't say like, oh, I broke my feminism today because I had like a sex negative thought or said like I slut shame someone for a second or you know whatever it is or I slut shame myself you know like I'm not like to a song that was yeah. you know degrading Girl, every damn day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but exactly like I don't I you know don't listen to like a certain um, song that makes me want to shake my ass and then I'm like oh my feminist clocks reset <laughs> <laughs> right I get to still be feminist and just understand that I'm a complicated person who's grown up in this environment who likes certain music that's not always like in line with my political beliefs, and that's just being a person. Um, and people also get really concerned and upset with like, well, then that means people are just getting away with eating meat and doing whatever they want. And it's like, first of all, so what? <laughs> like in a way really so what like that's that's their thing if they're gonna live this lie then that's on them because i've known people like that they like dabble in veganism and they're in and out of it all the time but that's their journey and that's okay 
how does that impact you, right? And I think it's also a very cynical view on people who've, most of the people I've talked to who have tried to go vegan or are trying to go vegan have deep internalized shame about the whole process. So they're not running around gleefully consuming animal products and being like, I still get all the vegan points. Like they're, they're having deep internal struggle over really fully believing that this is the right thing and yet somehow not being able to apply it to their life. So I just think it's kind of this, I, I, I just don't know why most people look at other people and think that that's what they're all trying to do is they're all trying to quote unquote, get away with eating animal products. It's like, that's not what anybody's trying to do. It's not an easy thing to do. Being vegan isn't easy, even in a world where it's certainly easier than it has been. It's still something that creates a lot of social stress. Um, even if you're privileged enough to not have to worry about food access and all the other things, um, it's not an easy thing to do. So I think we need to get rid of this mindset that we think, because again, it goes back to almost this religious nature of having these rules that you follow and then people are or aren't. And it's like, hey, well, I follow the rules, so I earn that label, and I don't want anyone else getting away with it if they're not making the same sacrifice as I am. And that's a way wrong approach to have, you know, a political stance that's supposed to be about somebody else. You know, you're really centering yourself in it there. And that tells me that, you know, on some level, it's not coming purely out of a for the animals uh, approach, which is something that probably should be examined. Yeah, again, I I just think this really points to the fact that we are we have been so well trained to think in terms of hierarchies and this like self-policing and and feeling like we're more concerned with one person getting away with something bad than we are with the other 99 people that are maybe doing it right. And I just why? <laughs> I don't I don't really care. You know, yeah, there may be a per- certain percentage of people that are always going to try to get away with shit. I'm a lot less concerned about them than I are with like, you know, it's like the argument of um, if one innocent person goes to jail, like that should be a bigger. But so many people in our society now view it's like, well, but if one bad person got away, mm-hmm. you know, and they're so focused on like mm-hmm. the bad person getting away than they are about like someone who was innocent getting locked up. And I'm just using this as the cliche. I'm like very anti-prison <laughs> and law enforcement. <laughs> So, so this so this is real real hypothetical. So this is like all very like a moot point. But it's like yeah, this idea of like we're so concerned with like this idea of like we may be wronged even not directly by someone like taking advantage, you know. So what? So what if there's a person out there who calls themselves vegan but on Thanksgivings they eat their grandma's stuffing that's not vegan? How how does that change your life any? Yeah. Like, how does that impact you and your activism and your, you know, political beliefs? And just again, to reiterate, um, the, the episode we just did about the stories of people who stopped being vegan for a time, they like the common thread in all of them is that it was very painful to them. And they had a struggle, and there's a reason they came back to it. And sometimes it's just a journey that people have. Because, again, veganism is hard. It's weird because it's, like, what we're putting in our face and, like, on our face and what we're putting on our body. Like, it's just so 
much more obviously ingrained in our lives than other forms of oppression are. Even though I would argue that those are much more ingrained in our lives than we often realize, um, it's just veganism's the easy one in a sense to like see it. Like you can see if someone's eating meat or if they're not, you know, and like make that decision, but you don't always know if the chocolate they're eating is cruelty free and like, you know, used with child slavery or whatever. But just, yeah, just don't, just remember that often people, oftentimes people are not enjoying what they're doing. There's, there's a lot of internal struggle there. And what came through to me in these stories is that a lot of people seemed to need to use the label as almost a thing to build up to. Like it was important for them to use it before it was maybe technically true because they knew like they wanted to get there. And I would argue veganism is always a journey, just like feminism, just like anti-racism and everything else. You know, if you're not part of the oppressed class, and even if you are, it's pretty much a lifetime, your lifetime's work of undoing all of that. Um, so, so if you look at it that way, I just feel like drawing a line in the sand over certain things is really arbitrary. It's just that that person probably just needs more time. And yeah, of course, I want people to get to where they're not consuming animals. And, you know, I think it's important to get to that step, at least um, for most of your purchases. I actually don't have a huge problem with people who have like very traditional families and they're going to eat their grandma's whatever at Thanksgiving. Um, I don't see animals as food anymore, but I don't really consider that like part of oppressing animals. I think you can work to change things within your family, but I just, I just think people need time and space to get to where they can get to. And we make it really, really hard for people to do that. We really, the second someone says they're vegan, even non-vegans are like, oh, so you, so you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't drink this. And I've heard like, you have to look up all the alcohol you ever drink and like, what do you, and it's just like this instant like we've created that though. We've created the situation where if you say you're vegan, you're supposed to be instantly perfect. And everybody, even non-vegans know what that list of things is. And so we just make it hard for people to, to work up to the, to the label and work up to the, you know, living in that, um, living their morals. And for some people, it's just, it's just more of a journey than for other people. Yeah, I kind of I do want to explore that a okay. bit more because I think that people will take what you just said as here's your permission slip to go ahead and exploit animals mm-hmm. and and they might say, well, by me giving someone a hard time about consuming grandma's whatever at the family function, I am standing up for the animals. So it's like, okay, yes, it doesn't affect me personally, but this isn't about me, it's about the animals. And so I don't know, like, what what would you say to that? Like, are are you ascribing a type of veganism that, like, flat out is, like, it's okay to eat animals sometimes? Or is it just, like, we need to be aware of the fact that it's a process for some people? I'm glad you asked that that way. Um, so what we've been saying on the show and what is kind of my guiding principle right now is that I think what I'm saying is we need to let people define veganism for themselves. That is the only way to avoid being oppressive. And that's the only way to do activism that is fully inclusive and allows people to come to the table as they are. We just have to understand that, yeah, I've talked to people. um, We just talked about this on our show. But, you know, you have I've talked to a lot of people of color who are like, I'm telling you 
Like I can't not eat that dish. And that is the one thing, this one dish one time a year is the one thing that keeps them from fully going vegan and becoming an activist and openly having these conversations with people and being out in the world as a vegan person. Do I think that person might eventually say, hey, grandma, can we please work on a version of this that doesn't have animals or whatever, or may just end up not eating the dish at some point? Probably, probably somewhere down the road, that person is going to, you know, make that decision for themselves. But I've, I cannot tell you, I used to run a, help run a group in San Diego for women. It was like a vegan cooking club. And I, I can't tell you how many girls came up to me with their hands shaking, saying like, I really want to do this, but my family won't support it. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about the holidays. And I was like, girl, just be vegan the rest of the year. So that's what I'm talking about. It's not so much about giving someone permission to eat animals. It's giving someone permission to step into their ethics in the way that is accessible to them at this time and then to figure the rest out for themselves, empowering them to live, you know, because, because again, it's this all or nothing mentality that we've set up. So why am I going to tell someone, well, yeah, you're right. You should just eat animals all year long if you're going to do it this one time in a year. You know what I mean? It's like flipping it the other way. It's not so much about giving them permission to eat animals. It's about giving them permission to not eat animals the rest of the year and to wear a label that will eventually probably um, empower them to maybe never eat animals again. Yeah, I I think I use that in my advocacy a lot when I'm talking to people and they say, I can never Mm -hmm. give up this thing. And I'm like, okay, we'll give up all the other stuff. And, And people are so taken back by that they're like i hadn't thought that that was a possibility no i mean literally (laughs) though yeah and and it's it's i don't i guess it's tough because i think for some people they they feel i guess i also feel there's a benefit to saying this is what vegan is and these are sort of the things the basic things that you need to achieve in order to find yourself under that umbrella and that i do think it is important to sort of have some framework and roadmap but it doesn't like okay if you want to be vegan obviously you shouldn't eat meat dairy eggs whatever it is but then how do we have make room for those people that are like you're talking about they're like this one thing or like they're in their transitioning process and i feel like as a community we definitely come down really hard on those people mm-hmm. and in my experience probably definitely driving away a lot of people that Absolutely. that don't think there's room for for those those little nuances and and you're totally right that it's all about how you frame it it's not saying you can eat non-vegan food three times a week it's saying like let's work on eating vegan food four times a week instead and and it's a like a it's almost like starting to use the word with your family and starting to go out to a restaurant and like get past your social anxiety to ask the waiter to help you order i've mentioned certain situations like being financially insecure where maybe this wouldn't be accessible but we also have to understand there's a whole realm of ableism that could be at play i mean you cannot underestimate someone who grew up in an abusive household and still maybe lives with their abusive family or is just simply financially dependent on their family um someone who has social anxiety i mean these are very very real stop gaps for people to be able to step into a vegan space so yeah exactly if you can tell someone well like let's work on you just doing it four days a week and getting used to ordering and getting your family used to you using that word that can be enormous for some people and it can be tremendously empowering i mean people can have huge growth and then that might be the person a few years from now who's like you know the outspoken activist or is you know very um 
strictly plant-based and how they eat or whatever it is, but not everyone can come to the table. I want to say guns blazing, but (laughs) probably not a good phrase. Um, But not everyone can come to the table fully formed. Uh, That happens to very few of us. Even Callie and I, who did go vegan overnight, literally took a very long time for our uh, politics to really catch up with us. A lot of it was just in diet only. And I think that's part of what I think about as well. Like, I wasn't, I wouldn't consider myself, I consider myself much more vegan now, but not because of my diet. It's because of how I am as an activist and how I talk about my veganism and how I talk to other people. Um, so I just, that's where for me, just having the amount of experience being vegan that I do and even looking at my journey, it's a little ridiculous to me that like someone else would consider me as vegan now as I was the day I stopped eating animals. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This has me kind of wondering, and maybe this would lead an avenue down a very long conversation, but (laughs) Do you think that there might be a case to be made for just sort of having a different name for this as opposed to being like veganism is this specific thing and there's sort of a different, I don't know if we need a label, but, you know, a different label, some umbrella that that sort of encompasses this idea that it's okay to mess up and it's okay to not be perfect all the time. Or do you think there's we can like salvage the vegan label to include those things? Do you? I have an answer, but do you want to answer? I have an answer, okay. too. You mean like flexitarian? <laughs> um, <laughs> or reducitarian? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, in all in all seriousness, that's a good question. But, you know, respectfully, no. I don't think solving... I don't think coming up with a different label is going to solve the problem. Because at the end of the day, the problem with using the word vegan like a label is making us as the community, um, judges of someone's experience, you know, it makes a look, there are, this is going to be like difficult to convey. So like, bear with me listeners. Um, there are times when someone is consuming an animal product and maybe they don't need to, maybe they're just doing it. Maybe they don't have a good reason why they were walking around the grocery store and they pick something up that looked good it's not vegan for some reason they chose to eat it yeah i don't support that there are other reasons why maybe someone is a freegan and the only food they consume comes out of a dumpster and they pick up an animal product and they eat that one of them i would say is valid and legitimate and the other i would say wouldn't but you know what it's not our place to judge either one because if we judge one experience and that means we have to judge all experiences so what i'm saying is to save us from using cuz a lot of there's a lot of vegans who have a lot of privilege we shouldn't be these privileged people that are judging other people's experiences that are a lot of areas that are in food deserts that don't have access to vegan food There's a lot of people who are food insecure who have to rely on food that they find or is donated to them. So we can't we can't really pick and choose either we're going to judge or we're not going to judge. And I would rather someone get away with a non-legitimate eating of an animal product if it saves us as a community from judging people who did have to eat something that as vegans we don't support. And I think we just 
have nuanced conversations about why animal liberation is important and why capitalism is harmful and forces us into these situations in the first place, you know, and we just move forward that way and we don't worry so much about the label. We practice veganism. We practice uh, being anti-animal exploitation and we just don't worry about deciding whether someone's reason is good enough because there's always going to be times when we're weighing in on something that we have no fucking business getting involved with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, again, if you think about feminism, like, who gives you your feminist card? Who is the person who's like, oh, yes, you're a feminist enough now to call yourself a feminist? Nobody. You you decide to use that label for yourself, and it's political, and for a lot of people, it's a little scary because it brings a lot of attention on you. It can even put you in danger, um, but we allow people to do that even if they're not perfect yet, even if they do, still do some sexist things or have internalized sexism that comes out. So I just think we need to think about veganism the same way, and that's why we like reframing it as practicing veganism and i would even say we should do that for other things as well i I practice feminism you know i practice anti-racism because again it we shouldn't have an external agent who has the power to like tell us what we are or aren't there's even things like um i don't think people think about eating disorders and i was really happy that one of the stories we got was around eating disorders and how for this person's recovery for them to like not die they needed to go back to a non-restricted diet which meant everything until they were able to get to a healthy mindset where animals weren't food anymore and so then an unrestricted diet meant just plant-based foods But that person had to go through that. And I don't feel comfortable telling them, I'm sorry you went through that, but like you weren't vegan during that time. And they didn't call themselves vegan. But do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I just think like there's there's just so many things that we can't know. And I just don't know why we waste our time judging other people's experiences when we can just say, okay, you practiced veganism today, but you weren't able to do it yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Instead of it having having it be this um line in the sand and then you are or you aren't because we know vegans who are like i've been vegan for like over two decades and i've never ever but they're like horrible people who are annoying <laughs> and make veganism look terrible and it's like okay so you're a gold star vegan congratulations for you but like you're not doing anything for the animals and like clearly nothing about what you're doing is actually for the animals it's about you how like being able to have this sense of perfection in your life and being able to feel better than other people about this thing that you've done. And trust me, the person I'm talking about is horrid, (laughs) (laughs) but that's a very common, like you get into groups and that's a very common thing is this sense of like, I'm the biggest vegan ever because I've never even had a byproduct in all of these years. And it's like, okay, so you're better than the person who does have to take free food sometimes, but is out there protesting, is out there, you know, writing letters to their local officials or trying to get their school to offer a vegan option at lunch. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not more vegan than that person. And none of us really have the authority to determine that for you. So I think if we can reframe it as practicing veganism and you just practice veganism when you can... Then it, and you know, obviously the goal is like to do it more and more often to where maybe you're able to do it all the time every day. Um, 
then that's a much better framework and that's not oppressive and that's not putting the authority of veganism in, you know, people who have all the privilege and control, which like enough already with you people. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, just a few other tips that I had um, that I can just kind of put out there. Um, I would say, you know, do what you can to connect with your community. I think we're all very... I I think the some people live in neighborhoods where you know your neighbors, but I think for I have not lived in a neighborhood like that in maybe forever. Um, so whatever you can, whatever that looks like for you, I think just developing a sense of community, even little things like I joined. Um, there's a local, I can't remember the name of it, but it's something like you know myneighborhood.com or something where you can just sign up and then you can see like you can post notes to people who live in a certain radius close to you. So you don't necessarily have to like physically go meet them, but you're still at least plugged in a little bit. And it's like, oh, I lost my dog. Has anyone seen it? Or I have this thing that I want to give away. Does anyone want it? Or does anyone need help with this? Or I'm looking for work. And you start to see the community. And I think so many of us are missing that. And capitalism doesn't want us to have community because communities support each other and communities take care of the people who have fallen down. And then you have empathy for your neighbor and you start thinking, Hey, the stuff is that's happening. Isn't okay. Right. You feel more empowered to make change. So, um, in whatever way you can do that, I would really suggest doing that. And I would also say, um, to add on to that practice, anti-capitalist, anti-consumerist activities in your own community when you can, My friend Sarah was just telling us the other night that she's part of a Facebook group called Buying Nothing, and you join and it asks you your zip code, and so you can only be put in a group that's your zip code. So it's very, very small, very local, and the whole point of it is that if you need anything, you go on there and say what you need, and other people try to get it to you locally so they don't ship it you know you you meet in person and you pick it up or whatever um but she said people will be on there even for things like halloween costumes they're like hey i want to go as you know jafar this year and people are like oh i have a cape and oh i have an inflatable parrot and i have and and she said people post pictures and they have these incredible costumes that came together from the community and then they give all those items back and so no one's bought anything but people get to do really cool stuff without having to spend any kind of money and then also people in that group if they have stuff to just give away they'll just post it and say does someone need this i have this thing so um you know participating in community community-based projects volunteering your time in a very local community-based way um even if there's uh, perhaps food shares that can be done where you can give excess food or do you know community potlucks or whatever just in any way that you can connect in a way that isn't about spending money but it's about helping each other and using what you already have to fill a need um i think is really really important because a lot i think that is part of what the like what would we do because we have been so individualized and so separated that we we literally don't know how we would do things Mm -hmm. and i think being part of that you start to see oh we would take care of each other We would do this for each other, and I think that's really important. This could be contested, depending on your, you know, beliefs, but I would say support things like UBI, which is universal basic income. I do support that because I think it's something that could immediately bring relief for people who desperately need it while we work on dismantling capitalism. Um, There's some people who say, you know, that's not a solution, but I think 
they say it's not a solution for capitalism, which I agree with. I just think it's a solution for people who need it right now. And there's um, many cities and even different countries that are experimenting with UBI right now. So it's something that could actually happen very soon and could help people have food, have shelter, have the basics. And um, I think it could also help facilitate more of a community feel as well. And then the last thing I have is I think it's very important to practice a restorative justice in an anti-mass incarceration mentality. And this may seem, I probably don't have time to dig into why, so I'll just leave it as a mysterious little <laughs> tidbit for you. But I think um, part of what capitalism does is it creates a very othering of people, and a lot of those people are the ones that we end up locking up and not caring about and thinking that they deserve to be stigmatized. Um, and it also, I think for people who aren't vegan, I think it's a very similar mindset for them with animals because animals are also things we're taught to not, especially animals used for food are beings that we're taught to not have compassion for and to think that's their place. That's what they're here for. So just getting away from this idea that someone um, can never come back from something that they've done. Like if they've gone to prison, they're a convict for the rest of their lives and should be branded and shouldn't be trusted. I think it's just very important to break out of that mentality. Um, and I think it's also, it's just generally important. It's important to be anti -cap for anti-capitalism, but it's also important for building community, which is something that vegans need desperately. We need stronger community based on, connection and trust and helping each other versus like oh we all we all want to get together and try like the new line of so delicious ice cream flavors you know there's got to be that's fun don't get me wrong we did it last weekend <laughs> but there's got to be more to our community if we're really going to get anywhere and we're really actually going to make a difference for animals as we sort of wrap up, I just had one question. It's it's related, but it's kind of an aside. And I noticed that on your, I think it was the last episode, you were promoting your new book club where everyone reads a book and, and like an online meeting and discussion of said book. And you mentioned, and there's a fee to join it, and you mentioned on the show, like, this is one way that we feel comfortable raising money for our podcast to cover our expenses. So I guess I'm just asking, could you reflect on how this sort of anti-capitalist principles have translated over into running the podcast. Do you think that like, it means no one should make money on anything. And, and like, what does that mean for you? Cause we, we just started our Patreon and we like anguished over I know it for you, so long. You talked about it for so long. <laughs> and we finally, it's like, we don't deserve this or it's for yeah. a good cause and we shouldn't be able to support it. But yeah. So could you mm -hmm. talk about that? Yeah, I'm really glad we're talking about this, actually, because it's something that we've also agonized over. So we started a Patreon pretty early on. Um, our costs were fairly high for everything, in a sense. And I, I'm a little bit better off now, but I was my money situation was always like I didn't I didn't have it always. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So like running the podcast was actually difficult for me financially. Um not that we didn't feel any kind of weird guilt. Like we, we really agonized over what we should give people for that. And then one day we just finally were like, we're giving people hours of content every week. Like not that we don't still want to give them little perks if we can, but it, we just realized like, um, God, I feel like this could be a whole episode because you know, as women, there's something about getting paid for your labor. Cause there's a lot of unpaid labor that women do. Um, 
So in thinking like an entrepreneur and running it like a business, which is difficult because we're anti-capitalist, but at the same time, our podcast is a business to us. It's something we would like to do full time. And we can't do that if we're not ever generating revenue from it in any way. And as you know, going to speaking events, um, having the show itself, doing all these things, typically does not pay. I mean, usually if you're lucky, your expenses are paid, but um, most of the events we've done, we haven't even had that. So we were going out of pocket to speak at events and to travel to them and attend conferences and have the show. So we had also always also thought, you know, maybe we could get sponsors for the show, but that never felt right to me. That always felt like too capitalist. Like I'm going to have ads on my show. I don't, I don't fault anybody who does. Um, but it just didn't sit well with us. And it was also, you know, it's very hard for us to put our name behind a company. I feel like it's very difficult to ever feel like you truly know that a company's okay. And most likely any company that could pay us a decent rate, like a rate high enough to make it worth it for us to have ads on our show, maybe isn't going to be always the best or maybe is going to get bought by a bigger company or what have you. So anyway, we were trying to think of ways that we could add value and also make money that would help build community that we would feel okay with. And so the book club, I used to run a book club in San Diego as part of the group that I was involved with. And we've talked about it on the show a million times, but it was something that really helped radicalize because the whole group was made out of, up of like health vegans, you know, food vegans. And that really, reading those books really helped radicalize people and make their veganism much more political, much more ethical, which we all know will keep people vegan longer and will help them be more of a, a center of influence. So we decided, you know, this is something we can do that we feel like would actually be a service to the community. And, and we feel okay saying, Hey, it's going to take us, we have to read the books. We have to come up with the questions. We, I mean, it's like hours and hours of work that goes into it. We feel okay saying we're going to charge this rate for this service because we also have a book club group. And so we, uh, we facilitate free and open discussions to anybody in the group. So people can still have access to um we're not like withholding anything from anyone it's just if you want this extra thing then there's a a charge and we've even had a couple people buy tickets and then realize that they couldn't go and so they've all been really great and been like just give my ticket to someone else so we've been able to do a scholarship to have other people you know come and not have to pay but that's that's why we felt okay with it because we feel like we're still giving people free and open access if you have the internet and if you have facebook um to, to still have that sense of community and building and, and we're just putting in labor to do this other thing and we felt okay charging for it. But it's, it's hard. I mean, it's something I struggle with constantly. The fact that I want money is hard for me, but I do because this is the world we live in. Like I have to have it to pay my bills and to eat. This is something that is not going to go away for anyone who is anti-capitalist while we are in an anti while we are in a capitalist system and that's this um this push and pull between like hating capitalism and resenting money but like also needing to live <laughs> and you know like take care of ourselves and uh, I like that Nicole brought up so many pain points in that you know like the fact that we're women and like we 
it's hard to like ask to be paid for our labor, you know? Um, and she totally downplayed the freak out that <laughs> happened when we first launched our Patreon. In fact, like her and I had a little issue cause like I totally freaked out. And then she was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. It was, um, it was one of our first fights. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is very difficult. One of the reasons we believe so strongly in a universal basic income is because we think that everyone, of course, should be able to buy food and have shelter and live um, and contribute to society in any way that they can and want to, you know, like let their special skills contribute to society, even if they're not like money-making skills. But then it's also hard, like not wanting money to be a thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I think just being in this space and, and recognizing that people should be paid for their labor and that's important as ethical people as activists I want all people to be properly compensated I think that we expect far too many people to do free labor or labor that doesn't cover what it costs to do that thing um, but then at the same time we also have people that like we make way too much money <laughs> in ways yeah. that don't really benefit society so it is kind of this hard middle ground but like Nicole beautifully explained the book club felt like a way that we felt aligned with our morals and um, we felt it like gives back but we we did we had conversations about like how much should it be how much should it cost and and you know do we feel good about this like how can we not make it inaccessible to people who can't necessarily afford it so and this is another way that we can have nuanced conversations while we are still in a capitalist system making sure that you're trying to do things that don't end up excluding people you know like try not to be classist when you're uh, planning for the future, but also knowing that everyone should be able to be compensated and afford to eat. Yeah, I think one of the strangest things about being anti-capitalist is realizing that that strangely means paying people what they deserve. <laughs> Right. Because you yeah, think yeah, it would mean yeah. like, oh, I shouldn't pay anyone for anything. But it's like it's actually the opposite. You should be paying people what they should actually be making because capitalism is not doing that. <laughs> so I think it's. um, Yeah. I mean, we get shit about it from certain people that like, oh, you're anti-capitalist, but you're like trying to make money. And it's like, well, yeah. W what else am I going to do? I don't know how to go live off the grid. I frankly don't want to. You know, so like I have to be in this system, but all I can do every day is just say, do I feel good about what I'm doing? And if not, then change it, you know, change course. Like we, we did, we really thought about sponsored ads for a long time. And I just, every time it kind of, I would like get into the idea of it. And then every time it got time to really reach out to people and try to make it happen, I was like, no, I just don't want to, you know, it just doesn't feel right. But yeah, it's it being anti-capitalist doesn't mean that anybody should be putting out hours of content and not getting any compensation from that. That's not what it means. Um, and, and likewise, it doesn't mean that the person at the fast food restaurant, it doesn't mean the person who makes your clothes shouldn't also be making a livable wage it actually means the opposite. You should be supportive of people being paid what they deserve because then the hidden cost that allows capitalism to continue to function is exposed and then it can't it can't continue to go the way that it is. 
that was very well said and i am i love this conversation that we just had it went in so many directions that i wasn't expecting <laughs> it was to go so thank you very much for for joining me and imparting your wisdom upon me so i, I greatly appreciate it and thank you well thank you for having us on it's really cool to be able to have this conversation with other people especially people we respect um so we were super happy when you reached out and said that you you wanted to explore this with us i think that's super cool um and i also just want to give a bump to the vegan vanguard Kelly and i tend to hit things you know we we do operate off some facts but we tend to hit things <laughs> we tend to hit things from a very philosophical level we like to kind of explore things philosophically and socially um so if you're someone who also likes like deep academic research um, from two extremely smart women. Um, the Vegan Vanguard also explores anti-capitalism and a bunch of other really cool stuff on their show. And they tend that they're both very well-educated women who do very good, re- very good and very deep research on their topics. So um, we highly recommend them as well. Yeah. So hopefully we got to your heartstrings, but if you <laughs> still feel like you need some like hard, cold facts on your headstrings, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they could maybe provide a missing piece for you mm-hmm. not that their conversations don't also get you in the heart i was just listening to the mm-hmm. one on carceral feminism and i was like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna need some time to process these <laughs> feelings <laughs> but yes thank you so much andy for um facilitating this conversation and um it was really nice to podcast with you in person uh we missed not yeah. having your podcast partner with you paul i know um hi paul yeah hi paul (laughs) thanks for letting us borrow andy (laughs) and yeah it was it was great to be able to do this yeah i think this is a great model for some of what we talked about today like i don't know that you were totally sold and you may not still be totally sold on everything we said but we were able to sit down and have a really great conversation together and i think that's at the heart of like what we're getting at is you know Let's not be afraid to lose each other. Let's let's talk things out and explore things together. So this is wonderful. Thank you. So we hope you enjoyed that conversation. And, and I hope you all pictured me just silently sitting in the background nodding. <laughs> <laughs> or shaking your head. Yes, yes. So... Yeah, let us know what you think about that. Obviously, you can always get in contact with us either on the Instagram or the Facebook or thebeardedvegans at gmail.com, which is probably the best place to go if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Well, yeah, I think that's it. Andy, what do you got? Wait, you got something to say? Yeah, I I think that this is an episode that a lot of people will have some opinions on. So definitely please send those in to us so we can mull them over because I'm still mulling over some of those ideas in my head as well. Cool, cool. So, Andy, what do you got coming up? This weekend, I'll be at the Andy Veg Fest in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's finally here. (laughs) It's finally upon us. That will be March 31st. Uh, April 7th, I'll be at the Nashville Veg Fest in Nashville, Tennessee. April 14th, I'll be at the Wilmington Veg Fest in Wilmington, North Carolina. April 29th, I'll be at the VegFest Michigan in Novi, Michigan. And then peeking over into May, I'll be at the Cleveland VegFest in Cleveland, Ohio. And at any of those events, just come find me. I'll be behind the Compassion Company table. And that's where I'll be. Come say hi. Say what's up, Beardo. We'll hook you up with a button and sticker. 
and maybe we can chat, crowd permitting. And if you want to get links to all those events or see what else I have coming up in the rest of the year, all the way through October, all over the country, you can just go to CompassionCo.com. This is CompassionCo.com. All right. So, well, I think the thing that always strikes me about capitalism, just from a very basic framework, is that it relies upon infinite growth in order to sustain itself. But in these trying times, it's nice to know that there is one thing that will never infinitely grow. There's something that will always remain (laughs) just a sweet, sweet, pure seven words. And that is the following phrase. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. Jovi. <laughs> the worst. All right. What's up, Beardos? Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. Hold on, there's a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm that close to an airport from what I can tell on the map, but maybe they're just flying over trying to look at those dogs. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> We're going to take a hard right past Dog <laughs> Beach now. <laughs> Well, you uncultured swine. (laughs) (laughs) No, no offense to pigs, of course. Uh, (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't use that insult. Whatever. Um, (laughs) Thank you for humoring me. Yeah, I was going to make a weird bone. Whatever. Isn't that humorous? Humorous, isn't that a bone? Yeah, it is a bone. <laughs> there you go. There's a joke in there somewhere. So that that's such a good point because, yeah, everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had a point that I was going to. <laughs> Did that answer your... I think so. I, I, I have no idea if anything I'm saying is good at all. <laughs> I just feel like I had some line of thought that was going to be really good, and then I'm talking, I'm like, all I'm doing is just saying, yes, that was good. <laughs> Um, that we can overlook the fact that, like, people – how did that make any sense, what I was just saying? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I got confused. I got me through my sentence. What's up, Beardos? What... <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that in for the blooper reel. Yep.